0: For this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town, we reached out to Jesse Phelps, media coordinator for the Lakota People's Law Project. I was curious about the work of nonprofit groups during the age of pandemic. Ojai has hundreds of nonprofit groups. For Jesse, though, it's been busier than ever. Lakota Standing Rock and Oglala Sioux's nearby Pine Ridge reservations are on the front line of the COVID-19 crisis in a showdown with a South Dakota governor who is challenging their right to screen and protect their own people by checking people entering into the reservation for COVID-19. And a breakout at Pine Ridge has left these people who often have very little access to medical care, especially vulnerable. Jesse is coordinating their efforts to protect themselves from his home in Ohio. We have a very wide ranging discussion, and I think you'll find it fascinating jesse brett hey Bretta. Good, good to hear your voice missing your yeah face. yeah well um i just thought i'd give you a ring and talk about what's the nonprofit world doing during a pandemic and specifically about the lakota people's law project and and what you're working on sure. so uh what what is going on
1: well a lot um you know, I think it's, it's probably a tough time for a lot of nonprofits, you know, looking at it as an umbrella right now it's because, uh, owner you know, based people, up. yeah, exactly. You know, um, but the flip side of that is that, um, you know, people are spending more time at home. So they're spending more time engaging with social media and their email and, all of the ways that we um, reach them as a nonprofit. Yeah.
0: So So, you're seeing um,
1: that in your engagement
0: on social media and likes on Instagram and everything.
1: Yeah. So the Lakota people's law project is, you know, one sort of uh, it's the flagship program of the Romero Institute, which is the larger nonprofit that I actually work for. Um, And we're equally focused on native American justice and, uh, and climate change. So, uh, yeah. Well, can
0: you explain a little bit, maybe, of the just yeah. quick history of how um, the Romero Institute in uh, Lakota yeah, it's project fa- got going? it's
1: a fascinating history, actually. So, um, the organization is run by Daniel Sheehan and Sarah Nelson and their partners, and they met um, winning justice for Karen Silkwood. Um, oh, so, yeah. Yeah, so Daniel is—he's like a wizard. That <laughs> he's a Harvard-trained uh, constitutional law attorney who has worked on everything from uh, the Pentagon Papers to Silkwood to Three Mile Island to the Iran-Contra affair. Like a modern-day day Clarence Darrow, <laughs> yes, um, and you know, litigating on all of these things. And so, so Danny. And Sarah um used to run something called the Christic Institute in the nineteen eighties. And that's that uh, Because they were a big deal. Bonnie Raitt and Bruce Springsteen and people like that did benefit concerts for them when they were exposing Iran Contra. <laughs>
0: oh, so
1: so so it's a it's a pretty storied history that, that Danny and Sarah have. Um, yeah, and, and how did they intersect with the
0: Romero yeah. Foundation?
1: And, well well, so actually George Bush, the first shut down the Christic Institute um, because they were messing with his program. And so they were then gifted the Romero Institute. They were, they were told they could no longer have a 501 C three, but fans gave them the Romero Institute. So they didn't start it. They were gifted it. (laughs) So in 2004, 2005, a group of Lakota grandmothers came to Daniel because they knew who he was and they asked him, can you help us solve this problem where the State Department of Social Services is literally continuing the slow genocide of our people by taking our children and putting them in white foster care and cutting them off from their native culture. So it was sort of a continuation
0: of the boarding school era um, yeah, Which I talked was... to Johnny Johnston about that. That great book, "The Real All Americans." Mm-hmm. Fascinating how that was much better. That was seen as progressive in its day because the alternative was a, a the only good Indian is a dead one. That was the that's right. what they were competing against. Right, And then here it is still going on. Right. The same thing happened with the Aborigines in Australia until well into the modern age.
1: Oh yeah. Well, colonialism has a similar effect on indigenous people all around the world. And of, and of course, the, the famous mantra of the Carlisle boarding school was kill the Indian, save the man. So, yeah. uh, so this stuff just doesn't end. Um, and so these Lakota grandmothers came to Danny and Sarah and said, we really need help here. And so, The Lakota Child Rescue Project was born, and the Lakota People's Law Project was born. Um, And it started with this uh, focus on uh, preserving Native families and preserving Native culture through preserving the families. But, of course, in 2016 and 2017, uh, the vision expanded uh, with the coming of the Dakota Access Pipeline and the protest camps at Standing Rock, which began a Yeah, the visibility got really high, yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that, uh, we, and we are really fortunate, right? Like, so over the course of time, um, we have been able to, uh, Start working with some really amazing Lakota people, Um, starting with that first delegation. One of those people was a woman named Madonna Thunderhawk, and she is a walking treasure. Whoa, I think that's
0: my new favorite name.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I know, isn't it amazing?
0: Um, Madonna Thunderhawk.
1: And she is as amazing as her name.
0: <laughs> uh, that's that's wonderful. Yeah,
1: she's one of the funniest human beings I've ever met, which isn't what you might expect. The first thing out of my mouth to be about a woman who was a founder of the American well, Indian Madonna movement. Thunderhawk. <laughs> <laughs> she she found she helped found the the American Indian movement and you know occupied Alcatraz and. Um, And she's one of our three primary um, native spokespeople. Another person, Chase Iron Eyes, who was a former congressional candidate from North Dakota and now serves as the PR director for Julian Bear Runner, who's the president of the Oglala Nation.
0: So we've... Yeah. Can you give us a little background on um, the Lakota's part of uh, like this loose designation of the Sioux tribes of...
1: No, sure, Plains
0: Indians, Northern Plains Indians, and uh, <laughs> but they're but it's more than that, right? Aren't they well, they're broken into si- various si- affiliations.
1: Si- of- so in Lakota, Sioux means enemy. So um, actually, the si- so what we know as the Sioux Nation is actually a collection of the uh, seven council fires of the Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota peoples. And that includes several different tribal reservation designations in the present day. Standing Rock is going to be a familiar name to a lot of people. Oglala is going to be a familiar name to a lot of people. That also includes Cheyenne River, where uh, Madonna is. Um, But, you know, things are really, really uh, dicey. Down there, and it's mostly in South Dakota, and things are really dicey down there right now. So one reason why
0: pandemic-related,
1: our- correct? So, so <laughs> uh, there's a uh, there's a situation happening around now the the Keystone XL pipeline. It's sort of um, dapple all over again, right? They're trying to once again. Uh, build this pipeline through native treaty lands, and uh, without their permission, and in fact, over their objections, and
0: with eminent these, domain.
1: Well, it's not exactly right. Like, so what? What happened is that in the Fort Laramie Treaty, or sneakier. <laughs> yeah, sneakier because it's basically just stolen land, right? Like if you look into the history of the of the Fort Laramie Treaties, uh, it, there was never a real legal concession of that whole territory. So that that is sovereign tribal land as far as the the Lakota are concerned, um, but it's never it's never been it's unceded treaty land, right? They've never ceded it to the American government legally, and in fact, they yeah. won a Supreme Court decision. Um, and they won't take the money, which is now a huge amount of money because, because it's, uh, it's strong, right? That's right. So, so what's happening right now with the, with in South Dakota, the, the present moment situation is that their governor, Christine Noem has not, uh, mandated common sense COVID restrictions, um, this whole time, right? Like very. Very few, right? She limited, I think, elderly people with pre-existing conditions were told they should shelter in place, but that's it. She didn't shut down any businesses, nothing. And so the Cheyenne River and Pine Ridge Reservations set up border checkpoints along the roads coming into the reservations to protect the health and safety of the people on the reservations. Like mutual aid. Yeah, like we're just going to, you know. Please tell us your medical history or pass on through, right? Like, but please don't bring COVID onto the reservations. Um, and she now, Christy Nome, has threatened to sue the tribes and gave them a 48-hour deadline. You know, our organization
0: peppered Is her. there like an interstate or something going through there that's uh, causing big disruptions? <laughs> Isn't that pretty remote? Causing biz- big disruptions
1: would be a- an overstatement. Um, but yes, her legal argument that she's leaning on is that there's some, and this is up for uh, debate by the law, whether there's a, she has legal jurisdiction over the state highways, particularly. So, um, but in any case, she offered this legal ultimatum. They said, um, "No, we're going to keep protecting our people." Thanks, and um, our organization helped. Um, you know, with the with the help of something like 13,000 of our supporters, we peppered Christy Nome's office with a call to action that said, uh, no, we stand with with the Lakota's right to self-determine their own health and safety since you won't do it. Um, and, yeah. you know, so, so those are the kinds of things that even in the midst of a pandemic continue to happen down there. And um, it's why it's so important that people do take action and why people recognize that and are taking action. So for us right now, we're working our tails off, but it's a, uh, it's a time where we can really, with the, with the help of our supporters make a difference.
0: Um, yeah. And how does one uh, get in the, get on the mailing list?
1: Sure. Uh, go to Lakota, lakotala dot org. And on the front page is a, uh,
0: email sign up capture field. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nice. And, uh, what, uh, how do you, how did you get into, you're doing this work from Oha?
1: I am. I'm doing Here. this from my Jasmine encrusted porch, uh, uh, where I also write stories for the Oha quarterly and Oha monthly magazines. Um, but yeah um i I have an old friend from college named benjamin who uh, who recruited me over the course of my lifetime uh, when he has needed words, he has called on me, and so um, I've been working with the organization for about four years now and
0: yeah. uh, is it campaign specific work mostly is it like one action after another, or are you just doing the routine uh, <laughs> structural things it's it's a lot.
1: Um, My duties are expensive. It it being a rather small nonprofit with a rather large uh, footprint, uh, we all wear multiple hats. And so my duties uh, include uh, crafting and working very closely with our native spokespeople on crafting email uh, newsletters for our supporters uh, I also handle all the press outreach for the organization and we have a,
0: You're a flack we
1: have a we have a press list that's uh, got 700 names on it and we've had coverage in pretty much every major news outlet in the US and beyond um, at various times so um, you know it's it really is like a sacred duty for me to help amplify Native American voices and make sure that um, they're not forgotten
0: or um further diminished yeah well in the this current environment what's going on with the benefactors and the membership and just the resources and support has it been up has it been down
1: yeah we are about 95 to 99 percent um supported by donations so um
0: Small donations,
1: large everything donations. from small to large to very substantial, um, but mostly small. Um, and it's really like a lot of people who, you know, find it in their hearts to give ten dollars a month, or or make a one-time gift of seventy-five dollars here or there, right? Like, but people who know that they can make a difference in real time um, with with whatever issue is most pressing in the country.
0: Yeah. Mm. And you're doing this from Ojai and the, uh, your office is in uh, Santa Cruz. Is that right? You, you typically go back and forth <laughs> a week at a time. Uh, so pre pre COVID. Um,
1: yeah, there, for a couple of years there, I was driving back and forth up and down the West Coast and spending a a week in Santa Cruz and a week at home. Um, and we also have an, have an office in, uh, in Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, but yeah, most of the organization's operations are centered in Santa Cruz. Obviously in the COVID era, uh, that has, that has changed. And fortunately we have a, a really talented staff who are, who have been trained to be extremely nimble and, um, you know, we're always working.
0: So you're able to pivot to a yep. uh, distance. Uh, work Correct. Pretty easily. Correct. And we're,
1: we're always, you know, we're always to some extent doing that because, um, again, the main voices of our organization are all on the ground in the Dakotas, right? And so we are um, constantly um, on the horn with them and, and uh, getting the lay of the land. If we, if we don't have staff on the ground, we usually do
0: in, in the Dakotas as well. And how, how has their efforts worked? Are they re- reporting any COVID cases? Or are they clear? Well, Cheyenne River, so... Have they flattened their curve?
1: <laughs> no. Well, first of all, South, South Dakota has done the
0: opposite, right? As I was alluding to earlier. I know, some- but then in the eastern South Dakota, that's where those processing plants are. That was just like... Infection rate was almost universal, eighty yeah, percent so or something. Sioux
1: Falls uh, was, which is I believe the second largest city in South Dakota. They had the worst hot spot in the nation a few weeks ago. Rachel Maddow did a whole um, segment on it. Um, so yeah, that it, statewide, it's become a, a real issue, um, and so it really is up to these tribes to protect to protect themselves. So at Cheyenne River, they've done a really good job of that. Um, and they've managed to uh, keep it out. But Pine Ridge, unfortunately, um, there was one early case and there were two more. And now there's a bit of a mini outbreak there. And they're doing everything they can to contact trace. And they put the reservation on lockdown for 72 hours the last week. And, um, you know, they're just doing their best to to hold
0: it in check. Uh, yeah, we said th- we... Uh you know, live in this little bubble here in Ohio, obviously. But those those outbreaks, especially when the healthcare infrastructure is so shoddy to begin with, mm-hmm. it's just gonna be, it could be really bad, really quick.
1: Yeah, so Ch- so I was mentioning Chase Iron is one of our spokespeople and who works directly with the president there at Oglala Nation. Pine Ridge is the reservation for the Oglala Nation. Uh Chase's wife is is actually sort of their Anthony Fauci. <laughs> she's she's a big wig at oh, uh, the hospital there. And so she and and their daughter, Tocata, is actually this amazing, amazing 16-year-old human being as well. Um, Disney Plus did a whole like superhero Marvel and Disney Plus did a whole superhero episode on Tocata. But so they she and she really is her mama's daughter. Like they're they're um, they're working right now to Put together um, as much of a of, of frontline defense as can possibly be done, but yes, you're you're absolutely correct. The healthcare infrastructure and access to uh, to medical supplies that will be needed with with any kind of a major outbreak. I mean, that stuff is just really limited in Lakota country, and that's just how it's how it's been. And you know, they're fortunate um, that. That they that they do have um, some really smart people working to solve this issue, but it's likely to get worse before it gets better, and they're certainly yeah. not equipped for a major
0: major outbreak of the pandemic. And then we've got other other outbreaks waves coming. It's likely to go dormant in the summer. It seems like there's already been some signs. The warmer weather is curb transmission. Yep. But just like the pandemic of 1918, once things cool down again, uh, another killer wave might be on the way. And
1: these things have an outsized effect in black and brown frontline communities. Like th- that's just yeah. how that's just the reality of the situation in our country. And it obviously shouldn't be like that. And it's, that's why it's so important that people pay attention and do what they can um, to think outside of their bubble.
0: Yeah, well, you've been in the Ojai yeah. bubble for a long time. <laughs> That's
1: true. <laughs> and
0: uh, I don't know, people know, you can tell us a little bit about your history, but uh, you're a pretty dyed-in-the-wool, what we would call ojai townie, even though you've been out in the world sure. a bunch, but uh, tell us uh, how, how your Ojai experience, how your upbringing, yeah. what's, it, what's it like to be a kid in Ojai? Um,
1: for me, it was often tough. Being really a working class kid um but you know i'm sure that well your mom's
0: a librarian mm-hmm. right
1: yeah she was she was retired, for a long retired time.
0: now yeah. but she
1: was for many years she was the children's librarian at the oi library um and then uh, worked in ventura at the library down there and my father drove uh, boats for island packers so i i you know in some ways my childhood was really blessed i had access to every all the good yeah. books and and santa, i could go to places on santa cruz island that most kids don't get to go um but it's a really it's a it's an interesting story yeah i was born in the oi hospital and someday i will write the story i promise for you
0: for the oi quarterly um,
1: but yeah my my parents it's a real hippie love story
0: was uh <laughs> dr skanky your ob what did he deliver you uh rick dr Bob rick skanky? gould delivered me oh okay <laughs> all right the other the yeah <laughs> <laughs> I know
1: Rick. <laughs> um yeah, so so my parents uh, met in you know I'll, I'll give the quick version is my dad was a Brit And he moved here when he was 12 years old to get one of the first open heart surgeries ever performed at Stanford. And then they graduated him out of high school very early at like 12 years old. And he wound up living on Hayton Ashbury across the street from the Grateful Dead in 1967 until the drug scene got too gnarly. And then he wound up somehow detoxing on the floor of a Greenwich Village apartment where my mom walked in and discovered him and took him up to the top of the Empire State Building. And he looked over. A wounded bird over at her and he said son that's that's when i knew i was in love with your mother so she rescued him and then he moved her out to the west coast and they came to ojai because his parents had moved here um, and picked up a hitchhiker on the way into town and there are alternate versions of whether that person was uh michael coffer eric little or someone else but like i mean or jesus christ (laughs) immediately were indoctrinated into the roadside hippie scene and uh and uh, so I was, uh, yeah. which uh, yeah has a had a <laughs> long history already. By, oh yeah,
0: by then, goodness. Yeah, but I grew up. So, so where where were your a, hands? a really yeah. interesting
1: uh, group of people, and and, and had made friends when I was a kid that are still some of my best friends to this day, and that's something that only happens, I think, in OI, right? Like, um, and really smart. Incredible heart and smart people that are out there in the world doing great things that I met, you know, from the time that I was like one year old to 12 years old.
0: Um, yeah. yeah. And you remember people you met when you were one? I couldn't even, I was like barely one able to one, walk. And you remember one of my people. best
1: friends on the planet it, I've known since I was like zero or one, Stephen Barlow.
0: Yeah. No. <laughs> So, uh, where were your hangouts? Like, what did a uh, active uh, mischief seeking child? Where did you find it? Where did
1: you hang out? Um, Back in those days, we mostly partied in Libby. (laughs) Um, But I, a couple of friends that I met in uh, in junior high had uh, there. They lived at a ranch on Creek Road, and most of our high school debauchery took place there because our hippie parents said. Do it here, please. <laughs> so yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> that's
0: a little shelter. They keep you under a roof. Now, what's mm-hmm, going on? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, I yeah. in to circle. <laughs> there's always that. Pa- there's always that parents <laughs> when you're the ones the where you can hang out. Hopefully, if you're lucky. Yeah, we were lucky
1: in that way for sure, and that was a, that was a magic time with a bunch of magic people. Um you know I, I also did want to kind of circle back. You brought up uh, my mom working at the library you know the the uh in addition to getting to hang out on the islands like her job at the library brought a surprising amount of awesomeness into my childhood in ohio um in, in <laughs> oh, I always I love the library. That place is really, really special. Um, I, in fact, I I wrote a story on this for you. Um, some some issues. Yeah,
0: about your course, your yeah, right, pal. yeah,
1: exactly. Yeah, at one point Michael Jackson came to stay in Ojai, and uh, and one of the things. <laughs> yeah, his
0: manager lived here, right, Tony? Uh, I can't remember his name now. I'm not going to remember. But I think that was Michael the Jackson's. Yeah personal manager or business manager. I'm not sure. He, he lived here and the story was like, yeah, you, you tell it better than I do, but he, uh, he would pop in every now and then.
1: Yeah. And he loved reading
0: and loved books, interestingly enough. So he really
1: wanted to experience the little magical Ojai library for himself, but of of course couldn't really do that during business hours. So my stepfather at the time who also worked at the library, uh, led him on a tour and then delivered to him uh my copy of read it
0: oh so you knew, so it, I knew was it was coming, coming. you knew I he knew, was coming and,
1: and so i wrote read it which was my attempt to get him to record a, a psa yeah, for the American library association
0: which he did not
1: do but he Very did cool. uh send me some gifts and letters and
0: uh that's yeah, pretty yeah. cool I wonder if he did that for um, Weird Al Yankovic when Weird Al did his <laughs> his uh, "Beat It."
1: Uh, uh, you know, as it turns out, I kind of wish I knew Weird Al. That would that would he turns out to be
0: <laughs> bring it all the way around. He turns out to be a pretty cool dude. Yeah, I heard a podcast where he was. Uh, being followed around by the podcaster for a few days just to get a sense of his everyday life, and yeah, he seems like a straight up, yeah, yeah. yeah. I was, I was kind of surprised. He and he's a very adept musician, he's the music part of his uh act is just, extremely adept
1: and and yeah. uh, and funny. You know, so I, uh, those are some of the qualities I respect most in a person. Can you make me laugh? And yeah. so what, what when
0: was it? this? Yeah. 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 The, and if you can do yeah, both. Yeah. But when, uh, when was this? Because, uh, 1984, that was, or was beat it even before that.
1: Um, this would have remember. been, yeah, no beat it hit in 83. Um, and this would have been a. Probably just a, a year or two later. So, yeah, that timing is about right. 84,
0: 85 is my guess. Yeah. It's probably 12. Well, you better know because that may come up in trivia for <laughs> Jesse uh, and myself and Martin not, Lewis and a few others. And yeah, we We find that we probably, if not, you know, we're one of the better trivia teams in town. I think I think that's safe to say. We we do pretty darn good. We
1: more than hold our own. We yeah. More than hold our own. Uh, but we do tend to be one year off on...
0: Those song titles. Questions. We never hit all three parts. As the trivia yeah. master will but ask I... a three-part question of which one part <laughs> will be, what's the name of the song? And then it's the name of the uh, the group. And then it's the year in which it was released. We never no. quite get it.
1: Well, every once in a while. Every once but in a while. I yeah. guarantee that next time, beat it comes up, it's uh, it's
0: 1983. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the that's, best year that's for good. music it's ever. Good to, by the way, to it. yeah, hot it wasn't take. bad. Hot, hot, hot take
1: 1983, best year for music ever.
0: And the Pixies' uh, debut album dropped then, I think, or around there. I don't know. Replacements, Paul Westerberg, he was gone. That was more my style back then. I like just the look up sort of edgy, 80 violent femmes. Yeah, violent femmes. Yes, good it's call. Like,
1: exactly. Mm-hmm. But look up nineteen eighty three on YouTube. It cannot be
0: topped. <laughs> will cannot be topped. So, um, yeah, you've written some other really fun stories too. Yeah, you have given
1: what me some, the... you've given me a really nice opportunity to do some good ones over the year and I th- years, and I thank you for that. I really do. Yeah,
0: I know it's not your. You know, your main hustle. This is just uh, like to get your byline in print, and you don't get a lot of money for it. But it's still, I still get a thrill seeing my byline in a print, in a publication. I still like, woo, you know, even if I have to, to, create that publication myself in which to seems like a big bandity project at some point but it's still fun uh you're providing an
1: essential service for this town though and 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 for me yes there is a thrill certainly still seeing my name in print but but even more than that just you know i i think you know because just a little history for the listeners you and i Worked really closely together in the early 2000s when uh, you were publishing the Ohio Valley News, and I used to be one of your key writers there. Um, and so, you know, I've always sort of yeah, there's a lot
0: of fun. It,
1: I've, I've always considered it a bit of a of a. Also, a sacred duty to report on this town and uh, be a, a guardian of this town and be a teller of its stories. I wish I could do that half as well as Mark Lewis, but but whatever play, uh, I, right. whatever part I can play is, is is really it's an honor and it's a, and it's uh, it's a pleasure.
0: Yeah, well, it's a pleasure for me too. But the um, thing about writing is, I find it very difficult and i don't like it <laughs> but the thing is is like the having not written once you've got a piece complete and you've tidied it up and you get it off to the next level and see it in print it's so thrilling it's like you're always chasing this uh this this you're having to slog through the swamp to get to the mountaintop every time. It, it doesn't matter if it's just an email to a client or the newsletter or story for the magazine. I don't know what your experience is, but I don't find uh, I like the act of of having written, but the doing of it I just I can come up with a million excuses not to write. Oh yeah. I mean, well, you actually
1: we've had this conversation privately a little bit and and you actually brought that to my attention originally and I was kind of like, yeah. Yeah, I kind of I kind of don't love writing. Um, but like I was seems like it's like I was born to do it. Um, and, and I will say this, I I think sort of putting a little bit of a finer point on what you were saying. So I wouldn't say it's all about the destination and I dislike all of the journey, but there are parts of the journey that I like better than others. What's really hard is getting those those first few paragraphs on the page and until it starts
0: to take real shape. Yeah. On the the page, page, mental prep
1: work. That's yeah. It's that's tough. where
0: it's a key part. Boy, you can sit on that for a long time,
1: but once it gets to, yeah, to you were- once it gets to concision and editing and making something really sing, I do enjoy that. And that's, that's something yeah, that I get I to do too. a lot of at, at, uh, at the Romero Institute, right? Like is is really yeah. because also what you know one thing that we focus on there is Uh, We have a lot of interns from UC Santa Cruz and other places that come in and write blogs. Oh yeah.
0: looking to build their CVs Mm -hmm. and everything. And and yeah, what a great project for that.
1: Working with the interns is, is really a pleasure for me. I love the process of mentoring on whatever level I can do, right? Like one of my first jobs, real jobs out of college was working at, at Laurel Springs school, even before I worked at the newspaper and learning how to work with kids with um, special learning styles and um, really being on the vanguard of the of learning at home um, was was such a cool thing for me and really taught me how much. Oh yeah! How oh, much wow, I, talk
0: about being ahead of the yeah. ahead of the curve there. This oh, was goodness. in the in
1: the nineties, right? Um, and now now parents are finding out how difficult homeschooling is uh, across a broad swath of of this nation. Um,
0: yeah. I feel for some of those parents. It's tough. Because, it's tough. Yeah. They're all stuck under one roof and they're trying to, to become the teachers and learn technologies <laughs> and keep their kids focused. So, so how, a, how ahead wow. of
1: its time was the Laurel Springs model where they actually offered Full yeah. curricula for your home and te- full
0: distance, learning. And full distance le- learning,
1: including teacher support. Right. And so so that for me being in that sitting in that teacher chair and working with with kids who had non traditional learning styles, um, it, that was my intro to sort of mentoring and how much I enjoy that. Um, and I later worked for the Ohio Valley Youth Foundation for some time
0: doing that while I was also writing. Oh, I don't so, remember that. Yeah mm-hmm and uh with Karen Karen Boston was the yeah PD who I, who that I haven't
1: seen in years but I just have such fond memories of that place she's
0: she's uh well uh, she's she was with the crew and then I think she stepped away from that because her um, parents are getting old but mm-hmm. Karen is a real mover and shaker yeah
1: she's have, an amazing uh, lady I fast, fast respect for her oh yeah me too and Marilyn Mosley who started Royal Springs right like like Ohio, yeah. Ohai. Uh, now
0: there's one I haven't seen in a while. <laughs> I haven't seen them in a while. while. Ohio
1: has always been filled with some pretty amazing women. I mean, my mom's whole women's circle is is filled with amazing women, and I, I always joke that I have like 50 mothers, and I couldn't be happier about it.
0: <laughs> Are you telling me, Jesse, that it takes a it takes a village. It, it, you, it really is that does. What you're trying I mean, to say?
1: Hey, never a more appropriate time to quote Hillary for sure
0: than in this part of this
1: conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, but um, but anyway. So back, back to Romero and working with the interns, right? Like they they produce this amazing content, and they're just learning how to do it. So I I take this great joy in getting to look at their discoveries and the the. Amazing way that they're communicating those discoveries uh, as a discoverable for a larger swath of people, and that editing process really helping them learn how to make their own stories and words and reporting sing um, that part of the process I
0: love you know so does the um the, color, the i'm sorry not not uh standing rock what was the not Pine Ridge. What's yep. the reservation? Well, where, the,
1: where the outbreak is? That would be Pine yeah. Ridge, which is the Oglala Nation. Oh,
0: yeah, that's right. Mm-hmm. You told me. Do they have their own uh, reservation newspapers? You know, not that I know.
1: Um, there's a local little uh, radio station in Lakota country called Kee- Kee- oh, yeah. Keeley oh, Radio. Fine. So that's kind of the main news outlet down there. Um, but then Chase, who is uh, Julian's President Bear Runner spokesperson and then also um, our lead counsel, he does a really good job of making sure that uh, the stories that need to be told get told. And often that's in partnership with me and our, um, our media team. We leverage. So very often, right, like we're not leveraging our press lists on our own behalf. And this is key, right? This is one reason why I'm so proud to work for this organization and why I think what we do is amazing. Like, it's not about self-promotion. It's not about getting the Lakota People's Law Project name and print. It's about making sure that whatever story needs to be told out of Pine Ridge gets told and that, you know, CNN and MSNBC and the New York Times have an opportunity to know about it (laughs)
0: you know yeah that 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 helps but what uh is this like the most current legal strategy right now is this a lot of courtroom work is it all public pressure like yeah so so we actually break down you're saying like they're having to fight off mm -hmm. the governor forcing them to open these roads like where does that take place yeah so she's threat where does that rubber hit she, the road she's so threatened
1: legal action but she's backed off that threat after our public pressure campaign she hasn't followed through so okay. so that's so yeah it's lakota people's law project is the name but what law is really uh, one of three prongs where we have a lot of expertise right like it's it's equally legal and uh, organizational, right? So organizing, boots on the ground, um, and then media outreach. So so all three of those things. And then we leverage our expertise on behalf of who needs it most, where um, in the way that it's needed most. So for instance, when Chase was, Chase was arrested at Standing Rock, surveilled and then arrested, and they wanted to make an example out of him. So our legal team, uh, kick kick now who is they
0: was it like the state troopers or well the we're gonna
1: get into some stuff here um but it was really and this is the real deal and you can look up the reporting on the intercepts and this is what happens is that there was basically a private military army for hire called tiger swan that was enlisted with by um by state law enforcement.
0: So there were. Tiger mm-hmm. Swan. I've got to love it. Oh, yeah. It sounds so oh, sinister. Yeah. Oh, these
1: guys, they? so they're an offshoot of Blackwater. <laughs>
0: of course. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. so
1: so, they were hired to basically run disinformation campaigns and surveil who they considered to be native leaders. Like Pinkerton's modern. day. was some ugly stuff. And, um, And so our, actually, our, we, so we, we took on Chase's legal defense and our goal was to really expose this connection and expose the fact that now sort of basic, basically Middle Eastern oil protecting private armies are now operating on home soil um, against Native Americans, right? Like this is, we've taken, we've taken the blueprint and moved it right here.
0: Um, so, and that's, yeah. this is the real stuff. It's who's, uh, the, where's the, where's the where are they getting, who's paying them? <clears throat> yeah. So yeah. Who's following the... the money, um,
1: the, the oil companies <laughs> pay them.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: Yeah. So it's this, it's yeah, this sort the... of axis of the oil company, law enforcement and private militarized security.
0: All working hand-in-hand yep. hand to get this project done, to get shovels in the ground and all those great blue-collar mm-hmm. jobs and prosperity and, you know, this this opportunity, like with the pandemic, just to pivot mm-hmm. the conversation, but just to make a big pivot to sustainable energy, this we've... Is not- we've this, I this feel like we've blown it. Not I a feel big like we've blown at all. it. This is exactly
1: what we're talking about, right? Like, because all of those blue-collar jobs could be repurposed in a new clean energy economy. Um, it's 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 completely a reachable vision. Um, should this country have a Green New Deal? Yes, it should, right? Like the the and there's no greater teacher about this than the pandemic. If ever we've been shown that We need to be prepared and we need to think ahead and we need to anticipate the problems to come. Uh, It's now.
0: Well, this is a known unknown. We're going to have outbreaks (laughs) and and pandemics. And and you look at Ebola, which could have been so much more worse. And we didn't flee from it. We didn't lock down the borders. So we sent our best medical frontline people right into the hotspot to shut it down. And, and that worked. Instead of banning travel right. from Wuhan, which we probably should have done, Any, I mean, to some extent, we should have taken our best medical <laughs> response people. You know, after the outbreak in Italy, do you know which country sent the most doctors to northern Italy to help with the response? Right. It was China. Yeah. Meanwhile, yeah. Um, let's... I, it,
1: we bungled. Uh, we, we don't bungled need to get badly. too deep into the details, but th- those are all readily available for anybody to find. But we could, we as a nation and as a federal government, could not have handled this crisis any worse. Um, we actively did the opposite of repair in a number of cases. Um, and which is which just goes to show the leadership that we have here in California, right? Like which is the complete opposite end of the spectrum. We flattened our curve very quickly. Um and yes, as you alluded to earlier, right, there are more waves to come, but so far so good with the with the um, measures that we've yeah, the local response. Com- completely yeah. the opposite of South Dakota, right? Like you want to see case studies on what happens if you do it right and what you, and if you do it wrong. Look at California and look at South Dakota.
0: <laughs> Um, but
1: let me just get back to, I imagine part-
0: they're following yeah. the Swedish model, though, the herd immunity, which has merit. There's like all kinds of trade-offs, but it was like, they didn't even know what they were. They, it just feels like so many people got caught Fletcher. I think, it, I, think, and it's I tragic. think you're giving them,
1: giving her Chrissy Nome too much credit, but I mean, I don't know. Maybe, maybe she's rationalized it out that way. But I, I do want to just put a period, period yeah. on that sentence, right? Like the COVID crisis uh, should teach us that it, the COVID crisis and the climate crisis are completely intertwined from the standpoint of one should be a teacher about the other. We, we absolutely are running out of time to take the right actions to preserve this planet for generations to come. Um, people like Greta Thunberg are not crazy people. Um, she does not need to be in school she needs to be doing exactly what she's doing saying exactly what she's saying and we need to be listening and
0: well, wait she seems like such a <laughs> wealthy well, young girl
1: uh, i've actually i've actually seen her i've seen her happy and i've seen her um i've seen her in in, in a different element she i mean she actually made that she made friends with Takata. When they were both speaking on a panel in Washington D.C., and Greta Thunberg, you know, uh, gas free, made her way out to Lakota country and actually spent time listening to and talking. I mean, with. carbon offset yes.
0: free. Because how? Are you yeah, gonna- I was being cheeky. She didn't. I was bike. being cheeky, but yes. Yeah. It was <laughs> this idea that things are the way they are and that that's always going to be like that and this huge amount of momentum that goes along with these structures like the mm-hmm. energy system but you look at in 2000 here's a good example I talked about this with Robin, Robin Gerber on an earlier podcast in 2008 the majority of Californians voted for Prop 8 to ban gay marriage or sanctify marriages between a man and a woman in 2008, and it was like 2011 or 12 before President Obama came out and supported gay marriage. And yet, does anyone really care about that now? You know, eight, nine years later, do we, do we get our, a bee in our bonnet about gay marriage? Of course not. That's been great business for Ojai, especially <laughs> people love to get married here. And another example is Marijuana. We decriminalized it. Well, it was a huge deal until, it I don't it. know when, 1999 or something, no. they decriminalized it here, medical marijuana, yeah. and then other states followed. And now it's just like, even in places like South Dakota, it's not that big of a you, deal. You, it's like things can happen fast if we're... If we're active and we it make it happen. Like, yeah. and, I mean... I, and I think as like you're talking about these 16-year-old girls. For them, it's like, well, duh, this is just the way it is for us. We don't care about these things. We care about right. these things. So that that's what gives me hope, that just the yeah. things that we are so wedded to and go to war yeah. over uh, cease to even be issues. Well, but we, we, we do have to listen.
1: And, and act together in order to bring that to fruition, right? Um, it, it, I think that we, we we can just look at the present moment to see the danger of of getting complacent. <laughs> yeah. Um, so so you know, but but I hear what you're saying, and that's why I love the term progressivism, right? Because it's progress; it ha- it will happen. Um, and as much as I. i don't know
0: (laughs) i'm not completely sure about that three can take some really dark turns it can
1: and that's exactly why we have to stay vigilant right
0: um so so yes
1: it's it's our job to make sure that progress happens
0: (laughs) yeah well i just uh for the second time i'm going through steven pinker's book enlightenment now and a big part of that is how if you look at the misery that people have endured for centuries and the violent deaths and the plagues and just the brutality of, like for example he talks about in 16th century France you know in England they had bear baiting which is very bad to watch a bear get mauled by a bunch of dogs that was uh, a spectator sport but in France they would take thanks, a cat thanks for on that
1: it's <laughs>
0: Yeah. I'm, t- I'm telling you, it was like things are better. They're getting better.
1: Yes. But uh, it takes a frighteningly long time sometimes. And sometimes it is.
0: And it doesn't always happen in a linear nope, fashion.
1: Uh, all either. too often it's two or five steps back. Right. Um, and, yeah. and I feel like we're in this moment right now where there's been this great reaction worldwide, really not just here. Right. Like against progressivism and against, <laughs> against moving forward.
0: Yeah. Um, Atavism, mm-hmm. atavistic instincts.
1: <sighs> this yeah. is why we have to keep doing what we do, Brett, And tell, tell the stories that we tell and listen and, and to, to the stories that are being told and amplify those when they are beyond our bubble.
0: Yeah, hopefully that's the way that people connect with each other through their stories. That's a fact. I mean,
1: maybe there's a silver lining to COVID too. That I I do think people, and this goes back to your original question about you know what's it like for nonprofits right now. But I do think that people in our isolation are coming together more um, through these digital means that we have at our disposal, and this could be a time for great movement building. Um, you know, if we take the lessons yeah. and, and put them into action.
0: I wonder what's going on right now that people are working on that's going to be the new normal or whatever comes out of this. What's the next big thing yeah. that people are working on right now? It's pretty cool to think about somebody that's going to own the future mm-hmm. out of this moment when everything just seems so frustrating and dark. At least I hope so, let, good let's, of it.
1: Let, hey, I Let's call upon those forces to arise. You know, like I, I, I can't, I can't wait to see what, um, what progress we make and what, you know, it's we're gonna have to learn some hard lessons in the short term. But uh, one has, it's, it's. I don't want to sound like a Pollyanna, and I probably have a couple of times during this conversation. But hey, that's part of growing up, Ojai. You know what? I've been able to maintain um, my hope. And my, my perspective of uh, the possibility of, of beauty and connectedness to help overcome. So um, thanks, Ohi. But yeah, no, I, I look forward, I, I look forward <laughs> to seeing what, what we can do together. I really do.
0: Yeah. Well, I think that's a good place to, to wrap it up. But um, I just want to say, next time you run into Madonna... Mm madonna thunderhawk yes. let her know that uh i'm i'm rooting for her i will man i will <laughs> <laughs> I might. All, right, all right brother we'll talk soon all right we'll get back to trivia here again and uh keep those uh, dates in mind for those music questions let it be
1: i'm rooting for that too. yeah I, I can't wait i can't wait to see <laughs> your face again man and not just hear your voice
0: all right yeah you too jesse take care and we'll t- we'll check in with you again here. thanks soon. for calling brett all right for this episode of ojai talk of the town i thought i'd conclude with some thoughts that were prompted by speaking with jesse phelps about his growing up in ojai It also got me to thinking about the students who are graduating this year during a pandemic, the class of 2020, with no ceremony to send them off, and how different it must be for them without that one final moment to soak up the adulation from their hometown. My hearts go out to them. It got me thinking about a very different age, but one with similarities to our own, especially about how a community like Ohi views its young people, or at least how it should. So about 100 BC or so, the Romans had just defeated Carthage once and for all in the Third Punic War and reigned supreme over the entire Mediterranean basin. The problem was that these soldiers returned to Rome victorious, expecting to take up farming on the common land surrounding the city walls as had been the custom for centuries. However, many of the wealthier families of Rome had taken these common lands into their own, farming them with slaves and refusing to share with these victorious soldiers. The tribune of the people protesting these land thefts in the Senate and looking out for the interests of the common people were the Gracchus brothers. They were taught to respect and revere the simple virtues of the Roman Republic like honesty and fair play and shared sacrifice from their mother Cornelia, daughter of the great general Scipio Africanus. The plural of Gracchus is Gracchi, and it is said even to this day that wherever people fight against injustice, tyranny, and for the greater good, and for making the world a better place, there lives the spirit of the Gracchi. Now the spirit goes that Cornelia was hosting a banquet at her modest home. Even as the matriarch of Rome's leading family, she lived simply in a very simple house with simple clothes. There was nothing fancy about her at all. Now some of her fellow noblewomen were admiring each other's jewelry, their rings and bracelets, necklaces and brooches made of the finest gold and silver, rubies and diamonds. They asked Cornelia about her jewelry, knowing full well she didn't have any. Now think of the real housewife of Beverly Hills, Ancient Rome Edition, to get some idea. Just at that moment, as if on cue, her sons entered the room. There, Cornelia said, pointing at them. These are my jewels. And that's how we think of the young people of Ojai. Now go forth into the world and do good. We're behind you. And that's it for this episode of Ojai Talk of the Town. We'll keep an ear out for you.